Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. It's something that is really very easily adjusted for a lot of people, but they just don't know how to do it. So I don't teach you anything that you don't already have. You just haven't learned to uncover it. There are more opportunities than ever for print and digital reporters to share their expertise on TV, radio, podcasts, or live stream videos. Today I'm talking to someone who, among other things, helps journalists prepare themselves for their next TV panel gig or podcast appearance. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Susan Murphy believes in the power of voice. The belief stems from spending 40 years in on-air production, now as a vocal coach. She helps polish the on-air sounds of anchors and reporters across the country. Susan, welcome to It's All Journalism. I am delighted to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you. You made a joke about our our broccoli, that we are the, the, the broccoli. I think of that's such focus. a great visual. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's kind of who we are, how we sort of perceive ourselves. And I don't know if it always puts us in the best stead when we're, we're being compared to other podcasts in the media space, because certainly some of those are very serious. And we do take ourselves seriously. And, you know, when you reached out on LinkedIn and I saw that you're a vocal coach, I was like, oh, great. Because this is an area that I think is really kind of important that people don't always think about. I know that people who are going to broadcast, you know, that's part of what they learn is how to use their instrument. Sort of. And sort of. Or not learn. Not learn. <laughs> not learn. Okay. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your, your 40 years in radio, TV, and in, in the broadcasting space. Well, I sometimes like to use the phrase that you can't shoot at a moving target. And that's not something I kind of started out with. I did my first radio commercial when I was 14. And when they paid me to talk, I'm like, <laughs> why wouldn't I? <laughs> so you just never I, shut up after that. I, right. <laughs> so I majored in communications in college and thought I was going to go into TV, went into radio, which I truly, truly love. It is my first love and did television as a very young broadcaster for a little while and hated it and went back to radio, helped start the Shadow Traffic Network in New York when I was barely 23 years old, was there for a couple of years, recruited to another radio station, hosted an afternoon show, then produced the morning show then freelanced all over New York City in news for a while and feature production, went out to Long Island as a news director, spent nine years there, got into public television kind of on a lark. Somewhere in there, some voiceover work started to pop up, and then I began to study it and really learn the craft. And then I kind of went from full-time doing on-air work to moving to North Carolina after I was widowed to be closer to my daughter and was kind of still dabbling in all areas of voiceover and narration and what have you. And about a year ago, I was watching television and noticing that an awful lot of younger reporters can certainly ask the right questions. They look good on camera. They are technologically brilliant, but their voices aren't particularly pleasant or authoritative or in a way that would make me want to listen. And I'm a big believer since I'm, you know, radio is my number one. I'm a big believer in that audio is always more important than the video. Always. Filmmakers will tell you that. So 
I decided I was going to start a company that would allow young broadcasters to come to me to help find an authentic voice to use in their storytelling, to use on air, but in many cases, just to use in their everyday lives, because the breathing that they do and the manner in which they speak usually pushes up the pitch of their voices, makes them rush, and it's just not what we want to listen to on air when we're trying to get information across. And they're trying to get the information across, and I, the viewer, am trying to absorb it. So I have worked with quite a number, pushing 60 now, anchors and reporters, getting them to the next level. In some areas, just getting them to a really good, solid level that their bosses don't have time to mentor them. They never had classes in this in in college because it's all about the technology now. So I'm there to not only help them discover what is usually a very beautiful, authoritative voice, but you can't do that without addressing their writing as well. So I blend the two. And that's how I've come to be a vocal coach. I did it at the university level. I forgot to add that. At one point, I was at Hofstra University in New York for about 11 years, loved it, loved working with young students. And a lot of the kids that I had in those classes are still working journalists 10 and 15 years later. So I really do think this is a calling for me. This is something that I can easily pass along because I'm really very passionate about it. Well, and it's clear that you are, and, and, and just even listening to your voice and the way that you answer a question, it, you have confidence in your ability to sound good, but also, you know, connect those dots in mm. your, your head yeah. of the information that you want to um, provide. Obviously, I've not had any local training, but when I was started this podcast with two other people, one of them, Megan Clority, who works for WTOP in Washington, D.C., she originally started in television and became a radio broadcaster. And now she's actually doing a podcast for WTOP. So she's kind of combined it all together. So I was fortunate enough to sit with her on these podcasts and kind of observe some of the things that she did. And, you know, once she left the podcast, I suddenly realized there were things that she was doing that I wasn't doing that I needed to change because for example, my energy level. I had to change my energy level because, you know, generally I'm, I'm kind of down here. And when you have somebody who's talking really fast and very, you know, consistently, then it's easy to sort of ride on with that person. But when, when I became the solo voice on this, it was like, oh, okay, I need to make, you know, create something so that people are engaged. You know, part of it is is talking to a guest, but also part of it is being present in the moment. You know, and that's something that I've been working for year after year after year. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the common things that people don't even think about when it comes to audio? Sure. A couple of things. One, in a TV situation or a podcast where you can watch the video, most people don't understand, or I think maybe now that we're post-pandemic, maybe more people understand, that watching each other's lips move is a very important part of understanding what you hear because it fills in psychological gaps if you missed a phrase or you missed a syllable. So that's one. And we spent two years all masked up and voices were muffled, but what really drove us crazy was we couldn't watch lips. And whether you recognize that or not, it's important. So certainly in a podcast that is only audio, if I can't watch your lips, 
or in television, when an anchor goes into VOSAT, which is voiceover sound on tape, she still is talking, but she's being covered with B-roll. Sometimes that helps, sometimes it doesn't. If there isn't more deliberate and intentional speech, when I can't watch your lips, I'm going to miss something. So deliberate intentional speech sometimes means going a little bit more slowly, and it certainly means taking pauses between thoughts. A, so that the speaker can sort of reset the breath, and we'll talk about breath in a minute, but it also allows the speaker to move ahead to their next point. And if you even have a just an inkling of that moving forward, and you take those breaths, you're less likely to trip up in your speech or to lose your train of thought. But pauses, as helpful as they are to you, they're really helpful to me, the listener, because I need to absorb what you're talking about. I may be very engaged. I may be very engrossed in what you're saying, but particularly if it's a subject where a lot of information is being tossed out or it's you're talking about numbers or medicine or science or technology, wait a second, you're the expert on it. I get that. But you have to do it in a way that I can understand bite by bite and by being more intentional and using those pauses. That's a great way to make sure your audience stays with you. And that's something that a lot of reporters and anchors miss. One of the reasons is because they think that the writing, and for most of them, it is writing versus ad-libbing. But even in the ad-libbing, they seem to think that, oh, well, if I make the sentence longer, if I put a lot of fancy words in this, well, I'm going to sound smarter. Mm, no, you're not. Mm -mm. You're going to lose me. So simple sentences, those good old words, and you're nodding your head like, yeah, I know this, right? Oh, yeah. No, no, those no. <laughs> old words are so important. And in telling that story, by the way, you can do so much, so much more with the pitch and tone of your voice in a short sentence than you can ever do in a long, because in a long sentence, you're just trying to get from A to Z in one piece. So that storytelling has to be done in a much more simpler form than a lot of anchors and reporters recognize. And that's certainly something that I stumbled upon that as I was writing intros and, you know, I don't, we don't really use a script, but I do write questions. And as once something got a little longer, it was like, well, I do want it to be long, but you know, I know that if I get to, you know, <laughs> to get to the 10th word, I'm going to need to stop to take a breath. So then it's like, okay, well, let's, how do we construct these sentences in present tense, because we're all active and we're all in the moment while we're speaking, you know, something again that I discovered and that I see sometimes when I listen to other podcasts or I, I talk to people who've never been on a podcast or never done broadcast before this idea that you have to, you know, as fast as you can, you got to get through this, realizing that you can take your time with stuff that there's no, especially online where you don't have the constraints of broadcast where you need to finish in two or three minutes you have some time to take some time, I guess. Right, right, exactly so. And this is your moment to shine, and this is your moment to get the point across or to share the story or whatever it is. Why would you rush it? Just do it in a way that, like you're around a campfire and you're telling that story. And the thing I like so much about audio 
and this goes back to the very early days of radio, is how intimate it is. It's like eavesdropping on a conversation. It's just peeking into somebody else's life, learning about it, learning from it. That's the beauty of this. And, you know, anyone who's listened to like audio that's on, on you know, NPR, where they'll have a, you know, a seven minute piece about something and there's these sort of long narrations. I'm not necessarily a fan of all of that. I do like the conversation. I like things to be a little more immediate. I, I don't necessarily want to have people explaining everything to me. I, I kind of want to learn that in, hmm. okay. through the voices. Of, this is my perspective. Okay. But I recognize that there's this place where you, you bring the listener in and you're their, their guide, you know, taking advantage of things like music and other, you know, live audio or, or audio from interviews and sort of blending that together to create a more rich story or richer story. And the other thing you say, you know, that I, I certainly agree with is the intimacy of, of this type of communication. People cue into the human voice innately. That's what we do. And so when, when we're just confined with, you know, headphones on and, or earbuds on, and we're just listening to somebody else's voice, that person is speaking to me. And so to your point about <laughs> you want to make your voice something that people want to listen to. So what are some of the sort of the common things that people come to you for that, I don't know if they've been told that you need to work on this or, you know, that they think, well, maybe I need to improve something. Sure. And that's exactly what happens. News directors think that maybe there's a way to to make the voice more pleasant sounding, but I like to say authentic because everybody has a beautiful voice at the bottom of their diaphragm. It's just that we don't use that. Most of us breathe very shallowly. It's called conversational breathing. And we kind of forget to breathe into our bellies. We're born doing that. If you've ever watched a baby, you know, cry on a changing table and they their bellies fill with air and then they wail, whatever. We forget how to do that at some point after we learn to walk. So we breathe shallowly. So one of the things, the only thing I start with is breath work, which I've learned through yoga, through a singing teacher, and then through 40 years of experience, how best to get that air down into the bottom of your diaphragm and then get it up as beautiful, authentic sound. So what I teach is the ability to breathe deeply into that diaphragm and bring up air and energy that is transformed into beautiful sound. And the breathing does pretty much come from yogic practice, but then I modify it so that it it's not completely like that. And one of the biggest things I learned about voice came from my singing teacher with regard to a particular body part that has so much to do with your voice. I never realized that. And you probably won't guess that body part. And the body part is your shoulders. Because let's think about this for a second. Where do we all carry stress and tension? In our shoulders. So if we can consciously learn to drop the shoulders to loosen the muscles across the top of your chest, across the top of your back, what you've automatically done is loosened the muscles into your neck and up into your jaw and into your face. That is crucial because if these muscles are tightened up, everything else is tightened up and pretty soon the pitch of your voice is going to rise. You're going to breathe very shallowly and it's not your authentic voice. 
So lower the shoulders and breathe from the belly. Now there's more to that, but that's the simple version of what I teach. And once you once you've practiced it and it becomes muscle memory, once you do it all the time, it does allow you to speak with intention, boldly, and remembering to use that pause, you build confidence in the sound of your voice. How many of us listen? We don't. But I make sure they listen. You listen back to things you've recorded. You walk out of a room as you play something on your computer, but I don't want you to watch it. I only want you to listen to it to see you know, your tone, your pitch, the speed. It's something that is really very easily adjusted for a lot of people, but they just don't know how to do it. So I don't teach you anything that you don't already have. You just haven't learned to uncover it. So my job is to uncover that authentic sound. And we were talking earlier before we started the conversation about the opportunities for print journalists to go on air, on podcasts, on news shows. That is such a blessing to TV and radio to have the benefit of print journalists because of their training and how they attack a story and how they investigate. And I really wish more of them would partner with TV and radio stations, much in the way that NPR does, to bring their expertise because TV can't do it and radio often can't do it. And the pressure on television today is off the charts, not like it was when I was coming up. Yeah. Anyone who, who watches any like news analysis online or on cable, they're watching a lot of talking heads. And those people are, tend to be the experts, but they also sometimes are reporters who are experts because of the reporting they're doing. And, you know, as you said, they don't necessarily have experience. But then again, you begin to see the same person coming back. And that usually is a sign that maybe they they like what the person is saying, that the TV or radio station recognizes that, well, this person has a lot of good information and, and is conveying it in a way that works for us. But one of the things you mentioned is writing, and this is something I did discover. You know, I had broadcasting classes in, in J school, but from writing questions to, you know, talking or, or even pre-interviewing a guest ahead of time to, you know, see how they would, would be as a guest and how, you know, if they were nervous or, you know, first yeah, making sure you got the, the right expert that they're going to speak to the issue that you have. But I was kind of surprised at, I don't want to say scripted or pre-planned it was, but just how much pre-production went into the interview so that the end result is when you do go live or you do begin to record that everybody's kind of their best self right? and they're going to perform the best way that they can. Right. And that can be tricky when you're dealing with, you know, people who, who never, you know, public speak or, or who never have an opportunity to be on air. Right. And one of the things that I will often advise my TV reporters, especially, but radio reporters too, oftentimes you'll ask for an explanation or an opinion or ask an expert a question. And the answer they give you makes your eyes glaze over. And if the reporter or the person asking questions isn't going to understand that answer, well, we can't make our viewers understand the answer. So I will often say, okay, so let your expert continue on. And then when they're finished, you politely say, you know, I'm wondering if you were trying to, if you were going to try to explain that same concept to a group of sixth graders, 
How would you rephrase that to make that group understand what you're trying to say? You know, I really think my listeners might understand it a bit better if it's aimed at a sixth grade or eighth grade audience. And then they'll go, oh, okay. And they'll try to explain it a little bit better. And therefore you understand it a little bit better. And when you go to put the story together, you can choose the right cuts. My rule always was, if I can say it better than you, I'm going to say it. But if you can say it better than me, I'm going to let you say it. So there are certain things that I can condense and quickly say and sum up. And then I'm going to let my expert do either the hard parts or the really intricate parts or the part that brings the heart to the story. Provides the color. It, color. Exactly. Color. I like your strategy of, could you please explain <laughs> it for sixth graders? Could you, yeah. could you please dumb it, dumb it down for the, for the uh, no, 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 in You're radio making... and television, we don't dumb down. We do have to often play to a lower common denominator, but I don't. Instead of dumbing down, I like to say we simplify, clarify, and edify. You know, TV and radio are not the be all and end all. You'll go to the website, you'll find the newspaper article, you'll li you'll listen to a longer podcast about the subject. We can't be everything to everybody, and we'd be crazy to try. So. We have to get to the heart of it, and hopefully you're going to get to the truth of it as well, which is, that's another subject for another day. And you have to think about, you know, what your role in this story is. What is it you can actually accomplish in this medium and in this space when you've got a guest or you're, you're telling a story, recognizing the limitations, but maybe sometimes pushing a little bit toward the effect of, of engaging people better. There are a couple of questions I did want to ask about this move to digital. Your career has spanned both broadcast and now we're in a space where we have digital audio, digital video. You know, how has that sort of changed audio quality, opportunity? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? I sometimes think that the advances in technology have come at the expense of storytelling have come at the expense of immediacy have come at the expense of exploring stories in a different way i do applaud tv stations who have their digital stories who try to attempt to give more information than what was you know shown in the package or shown in that newscast i applaud that but that's still only probably this much more I do think the digital space is certainly where we're we're all going to go. And I I don't fear that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Appointment news, you know, sitting down for the five and six o'clock just doesn't really happen anymore. But the reason TV stations are adding more newscasts at noon and at four and at nine and at 1030 is because it's cheaper than to air programming. So in a way, they're trying to do digital without being digital. Oh, I want to look at news at 8.30 or 10 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, oh, it's there. But until you realize that if you're going to put news information out that often, you can't constantly repeat it. Although I know in an all news station at a TOP or a KYW or a WINS, yeah, I understand that works. But I would much rather see staffs expand. I would much rather see teams of people work on more investigative things 
where they do something once a week instead of having to do something every day. One of the pushes in journalism now is something called solutions journalism. Stop chasing the murders and let's try and figure out what we can do as a community to lower the rate. Stop chasing politicians and let's see what we as a community can do to change voting rights or or civil rights or whatever. I would like to see information entities in all spaces, digital included, work toward more solutions as opposed to just covering issues or problems. Or, you know, doing the same sort of talking head stuff that yeah. your competitor is doing. Or something you said about trying to do more digital oriented things. There was a period of time when like the morning news show, and they may still do this, they would show their Twitter feed. Yeah. And it was like, okay, if I wanted the Twitter feed, maybe I could go online and do that. And this idea of not recognizing what your space is and where you can kind of really sort of shine. So maybe a TV station, a news station should play to their strengths as opposed to trying to chase something else. NBC is in the TikTok sphere. Okay, I guess. Is that, I don't know. TikTok is, is really interesting, <laughs> what's sort of happened in the last few months. And it'll, you know, it'll go where it's going to go. Yeah. But it's nothing new that these people are pursuing something. They think this is the answer. It's video. Or this idea that when podcasting started to grow and a lot of the commercial radio stations began losing listeners, their idea was, well, let's create podcasts. Let's just put our newscast up online and everybody will listen to that. And nobody did because it was it was at a pace that was news radio pace. It was not it did not focus on the things that people were looking for from podcasting or the sort of arrogance of, well, you know, I'm a radio po I'm a radio broadcaster. I should be you know, I should be aces in in podcasting. And many people found out that that was not true. No. You know, a lot of people think, and sometimes the very young reporters and not so much anchors, but reporters I work with think, well, I'm just going to talk on TV. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not as easy as it looks. There's a lot more that goes into this. And that's true. And as more of the digital world becomes more prominent, you're going to have to take it in directions where... You're creating engaging content that people not only want to learn, but need to learn. We don't spend enough time giving people what they need. We're good about giving them what they want. Sometimes you have to feed them the broccoli, you know? Yes. Nice callback. Nice uh, yeah. reach out to our motto. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I agree. Or you end up finding yourselves you know, supplying only what you can supply and hoping that that is the thing that you've laid off all of your reporters and you really can't compete for breaking news on something as a well-stocked digital news site. But yet you try to because, you know, that's where the money is, yep. quote unquote. Anyway. So what are you thinking about the future of digital audio? Uh, digital audio. I mean... It's tough to bet against it. If you've been seeing the growth of podcasting has been consistent for the last, you know, 12 or 15 years. I think having worked at a radio station that 
was a commercial radio station, which is different than public radio, which has its own challenges right now. When you saw declining revenue, and especially in radio stations that, you know, were music stations that, hey, you know who listened to music stations a lot or mostly were baby boomers. And you know what's happening to baby boomers? A, they've aged out of the ideal commercial rate and a lot of them are dying <laughs> or not changing their listening habits or some of them are actually are going to podcasts. Mm -hmm. So, and I was talking to my editor about this. Digital is where news is going to be. End of story. At least until something else comes along that sort of supersedes it. That being said, certainly television is still a big player in getting people's eyes and ears. So, you know, I don't think necessarily television is going to disappear. But then again, it's it's certainly been disrupted by digital like every other thing in our society. And digital anything fractures everything because then the, the avenues are suddenly limitless. I mean, right. over-the-air television was limited. Radio frequencies were limited. But digital limitless. So I don't know that the fracturing is such a great idea because what happens is people, and we all know this, people gravitate toward podcasts or newscasts that bolster what they already know or bolster what they already believe. They're not learning anything. They're not investigating other opportunities or sides of the story or whatever. Fracturing. Uh, I don't know about that. The other thing is that we haven't mentioned is control. Oh, and right. we lo we lost control. The news me media has lost control of, of its audience. When there were three broadcast stations in a town, they had the control mostly. I mean, certainly they needed to get good ratings. They needed to have sponsors who sponsored things. But by and large, they could decide what they wanted to put on right. news. And everybody had a share that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with large uh, metropolitan newspapers. But that's, as you said, it's all sort of fractured. And we've ceded control, not necessarily voluntarily, but as, as soon as people learned that they could uh, use their DVRs and decide to watch a show at any time that they wanted to, and people could decided, oh, with these, I don't have to listen to this news, th this thing. I, fast I, I forward to the commercials. I can fast forward or I can, I can download a podcast that I'm more interested in listening to than you know, this news mm -hmm. channel, then, mm -hmm. yeah. Eventually you get to a point, and you say this with solutions journalism, you get to a point where it's like, ultimately it's the audience decides where this is all going to go. Which is enough to take your breath away. Well, yeah, but then how do you monetize that? How do you prevent news deserts in large parts of the country? How do you give voices to parts of a society that don't have those voices? People uh, have to clamor for the voices. Right, right. How do you put a meter on that to make money? So, Good question. Or, yeah. So these are big questions that you and I are not going to answer. I'm going to ask a one burning question. Burning question. Okay. Burning the light up. Is vocal fry a thing? <laughs> yes. Vocal fry is certainly a thing. Vocal fry is simply unsupported breath. It's just allowing air and energy to pass your vocal cords in a very lazy sort of way so that it's not intense enough to make the vocal folds vibrate in their most optimum manner. So vocal fry is just unsupported, lazy breath. Vocal fry is a thing and science is still divided on whether it can actually harm your voice. At first, everybody said, yes, 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 it can. And now that's maybe not true. A lot of people outgrow 
vocal fry just because it's um the Kardashians accepted because they've made a career out of it. Why are they going to change? But a lot of people just outgrow it because they realize it's sometimes it's an inefficient way of communication, which is also what I do as well in particularly young women who have girlish voices or high voices or Barbie doll voices. It goes back to what worked for them in childhood. Well, it doesn't work for you now in your early 20s and your 30s. So let's find the voice that is yours in authenticity and get rid of a voice that at one point you needed to have in order to survive or get by or deal with. And when I've helped women with that, they say it's healing because it does go back to when they were younger. And even in men, that is true too, but often to the opposite extreme is where news anchors think they need to sound like what it is in their head when know what they need to sound like is themselves. So I can undo that in a male voice too. So it's all about the authenticity every which way to Sunday, Michael. I agree. And the only reason I asked about vocal fry yeah, is why? because I have, I have been in studios and witnessed it where someone you were talking to is speaking a certain way. And as soon as the microphone begins, it changes. And it's like, huh, I wonder why they did that. But as you said, we go back to breathing. We back, go back to authenticity. Yep. Susan, this has been fun. I it really has been. Let's you. do it again. Let's do it again. You mentioned the name of your business, but you didn't mention it in context. What's, ah, what's the name yes. of your, your business again? The business, well, the website is Susan Murphy Vosot, V-O-S-O-T dot com. And the reason I chose that is because helping anchors and meteorologists and sports people and reporters with Vosot, it's broadcast shorthand for voice over sound on tape. I just thought it was kind of very insidery, but I'm actually now spreading out and I'm actually working with ministers. I'm working with business people to help them uncover their authentic voices for presentation or for sermons or what have you. So so now Susan Murphy Vosat, oh, I know what that is. It's voice over sound on tape. So you too can sound like a broadcast insider. Next time we'll talk about, you know, what you tell news anchors or news reporters when they're standing out on the pier and, a, and there's a hurricane behind them. You know, how do they emote? How do they get their diaphragm where it needs to do? Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. We'll do that. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. Wendy's new French toast sticks are so delicious, some are saying that they're better than their mom's breakfast. Excuse me. 
Did you just say Wendy's new French toast sticks are better than my breakfast? Mom, is that you? Answer the question. I said some people are saying that because they're so crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside and perfect in every way. Uh-huh. And what do you think? I think it's time to tell people to choose wisely. Choose Wendy's new sweet and crispy homestyle French toast sticks. That's still not an answer. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours.